Hello, I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. We're a church seeking to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Life FM for continuing to host us. Today, as we look to God's Word, our reading is Romans 3, verses 9 to 20. So you can begin looking that up now. And while you're getting that ready, I'll pray, asking God to bless us as we read and consider His Word, read the passage, and then we'll go to the sermon. So let's pray. Great God of glory, Your Word is a powerful Word, forming the earth from nothing, showcasing Your power and might. We pray as we read it and hear it preached that you would work in power in our hearts, opening them to receive the truth that we would worship you with our whole hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. And now let's read Romans 3, 9-20. to What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight. For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Maybe you've experienced whiplash, or know someone who has. There's been a car accident, and the sudden jerk of the car has injured your neck. Either you were moving at speed, and a crash made you come to a sudden stop, or you were stationary, and a car crashed into you. Either way, your neck is injured from the sudden, violent movement. We're in the third week of our series on Christianity 101, where we've seen that we have a message to share. And the first two weeks were incredibly positive. We saw week one that God is the loving maker and ruler of the world. Then week two, that God made humanity in his image. These were incredibly positive, glorious weeks. We saw God's loving power, his control over all things. We saw the incredible glory of being made in God's image, the dignity that comes from that, the privilege of being above the rest of creation, which we've been given the responsibility to care for. But now we'll experience whiplash. Why is our world a scary place? Why are there so many tragedies, disasters, atrocities? Why can we look at ourselves, our character, the things we've done, the way we've treated people, and be so full of regret? We have a story to share. And like any great story, there's a crisis to overcome. The first two weeks have set up the story so we can appreciate the depth of that crisis. First, God is the loving ruler of the world. 
Second, God made humanity in his image. Third, we've all rebelled against God's loving rule. This is the tragedy and the mystery of humanity. How could we do this? Everything was perfect, literally. Adam and Eve were perfectly innocent. God said over and over again as he created that it was good, good, very good. But no more. If we don't understand this part of our story, if the people we're sharing the message with don't understand this element, then Jesus won't make any sense to them. So we must be clear, both on the point and its seriousness. We've all rebelled against God's loving rule. We have a message to share, and as we begin to think about this element, our first heading is the story of sin. We're told how sin entered the world in Genesis 3. Right at the very beginning, after God made the world, made people in his image to rule the world, and said it was all very good, evil enters. Remember how God created. He created Adam to rule all creation, including the other creatures. Eve, his wife, was his helper. And as Genesis 3 starts, that picture is flipped upside down. The serpent, the devil, speaks to Eve and entices her to sin, all while Adam stands passively by her side. The serpent said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The serpent is attacking the goodness of God, suggesting he's not generous, not kind. Eve, you're in a flourishing garden, and the trees are laden with fruit. Are you seriously not allowed to eat any of it? Hearing that accusation against God's character, Adam should immediately have grabbed that serpent and crushed it. How dare it talk to his wife that way, accusing God of such stinginess. But Adam listens on as Eve tries to correct the serpent, saying there's only one tree they're not allowed to eat from, or even touch, even though God hadn't forbidden them touching it. And what would be the penalty? Death. The serpent calls God an outright liar. You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil did come with the threat of death. But was God being cruel? Of course not. He'd given them every tree in the garden. Every tree, except one. He'd been so generous. And these weren't sickly trees with dry fruit. Genesis 2.9 says these trees were pleasant to the eyes and good for food. God had given them everything they could want. And the only question now was, would they trust him? Would they be content? Would they believe his word? Or would they reject it? Would they submit to God's rule, humbly remembering they're his creatures and that he's the ruler? Or would they rebel against his loving rule? Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, remember every tree was like that, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. 
There's the key. She desired to be wise. Normally, wisdom is a good thing, but Eve was straining toward wisdom she shouldn't have. She wanted to be godlike, the determiner of right and wrong. She didn't want God to dictate right and wrong. She wanted to decide for herself. She wanted to be the ruler, not God. Before she reached out her hand for the fruit, she had sinned in her heart. This wasn't a petty misdemeanour, a little bit of naughtiness, taking a cookie from the cookie jar before dinner. Eve listened to the serpent and was determined to unseat God from his throne. She decided God wasn't trustworthy. She wanted to be in charge. This was cosmic treason. And there's Adam, passively going along with it, watching his wife being led astray and allowing her to lead him into rebellion against God's loving rule, knowing full well that it was wrong. Full well it would lead to death, full well that God had been generous to them, and he was a God to be trusted. Eve's sin began not by reaching for the fruit, but by deciding in her heart that God wasn't to be trusted, and she wanted to take his place on the throne of her life. Adam and Eve rebelled against God's loving rule with that desire. That's the story of sin's entry into our world. Next week, we'll look at how sin has changed everything. But for now, we're thinking about how Adam and Eve's rebellion wasn't an isolated incident. We've seen the story of sin. Now let's look at the spread of sin, our second heading. The Bible is painfully clear all throughout that every single person is born in sin and has rebelled against God. Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, all the heroes of the Bible rebelled against God at different points in different ways. They all suffer the same disease as us. David says in Psalm 51, My sin is ever before me. He says, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David was painfully aware that from the moment of his conception, He was a sinner. David didn't become a sinner by sinning. He sinned because he was a sinner. It was his nature as a child of Adam and Eve. In Romans 3, Paul, quoting from Psalm 14, says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, he says in Romans 3.23. There's no getting around this. There's no denying it. We are sinners. We've all rebelled against God's loving rule. Sin has spread to us. Are we nothing but victims then? I remember on a TV show set in a hospital, it showed one of the staff at the hospital, a training doctor, getting fired. Then he sneezed into his hand and didn't wash his hands. I can't remember if he went directly to a patient with a compromised immune system or whether the germs passed from one person to another to another until they reached her, but either way, his sneeze infected her. She was a victim of his sneeze, his germs, his carelessness. Is that what we are? Sin can be spoken of as a disease, it's true. It is spread from parent to child through the ages. 
But God, in his word, doesn't only speak about sin as a disease. That's just one image. Sure, there are times when sin happens without us thinking about it. And maybe we'd compare it to an uncontrollable sneeze. But sin isn't like a sneeze. It's not just an involuntary hiccup. It's not impossible to hold down. Most of the time, when we rebel against God, we're deliberately choosing that action or indulging those unloving thoughts. Not that we consciously say, I'm going to rebel against God now. But as we're waiting in line at the bank, it's not an uncontrollable impulse which makes us complain to everyone around us about how slow it was. I was at the bank the other day, and it was a long line, as usual, And yes, it is frustrating, but I was amazed at how openly the people in the line were complaining, discussing how few tellers were at the windows, disgusted that one of them would dare go to lunch while there were still people waiting. The people in the line have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. All the systems and processes to be followed, which makes the time in line so long. But still, they decided to openly complain about this and then about politics, and any number of things. The pride that people showed as they complained about others was on full display. And it wasn't a sneeze, they were in complete control over whether they said anything and what they said. Just like I am when I'm behind a car going slightly slower than I want them to. We've all rebelled against God's loving rule. We're all guilty. We inherit that guilt. But we also earn that guilt. We pile up our sin and put them on full display. This is the spread of sin. Which brings us to our third heading, the depth of sin. And here we're asking the question, just how bad is this problem really? Yes, it's a hard pill to swallow, especially when we remember back to last week, to the incredible dignity we're given as creatures made in God's image. Last week we saw that every human is valuable to God, no exceptions. We're the highest of all the creatures. So what has this rebellion done to us? Has it taken away all our dignity, our value? No. Generations after the first sin, after God had swept everything away with a flood, as Noah came off the ark, God reaffirmed how valuable people are. He outlawed murder because man is so valuable, made in God's image. We're still in God's image. The image is twisted now. We don't accurately reflect the God of perfection anymore, but there's still something in us that reflects him, like a a mirror cracked and dirty. But just how cracked and dirty are we? What's the depth of our problem? How far does it go? Is it a slight blemish? Would we get a B plus or an A instead of an A plus? Is it just a small part of us which has been impacted by our rebellion? Did you notice all the parts of us impacted by sin which Paul mentioned in Romans 3 as he quoted the Psalms? Romans 3, verses 13 to 18, Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouths are full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Throat, 
tongues, lips, mouth, feet, eyes, all full of wickedness and evil. It's as if poison has been tipped into a glass of water. Every water molecule has been impacted by the poison. And like that glass of water, every single part of us has been stained and poisoned by our rebellion. Our thoughts, words, actions, there's nothing we do or feel or think which isn't impacted in some way by sin. Even when we do the right thing, we do it with mixed motives. We can sing God's praises in church, but our minds aren't fully focused on him. We might be self-conscious about our voice, hoping people don't notice, or proud of our voice, hoping to get compliments later. Instead of being completely motivated by love for God, we have mixed motives. What did Jesus say in Mark 7? From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. You know those times where you sin and it was so sudden, so out of the blue, that you shock yourself? You said something hurtful without thinking about it. The instant you said it, you wished you could reel them back in, catch those words before they hit the person's ears, and you think to yourself, that wasn't me, that's not who I am. But it was you. It was you expressing the corruption of sin and rebellion which is part of you. We have a message to share and our rebellion against God is key to understanding the rest of the story. But we need to understand just how bad it is. We're always tempted to minimise our guilt. We always want to blame others. I lashed out because they kept saying this. I gave in to this temptation because I was tired. But the Bible doesn't allow us to minimise our guilt. It doesn't allow us to blame others. Even when we've been wronged, even when we're a victim of someone else's sin, we're still responsible for how we respond to being sinned against. Everything we do, everything we think, everything we say comes from a heart which has been corrupted by sin. Every religion recognises this problem, that we're not who we should be. And their solution is always the same. Do your best. Try really hard to outweigh your bad with your good. Even the spiritual but not religious think this is the way to go. The atheist is convinced her good outweighs her bad. But this is why this element of the message we have to share is so important. They don't realise how bad our rebellion is. They don't realise who we've rebelled against. Against our maker who's the rightful ruler, against the holy God who hates sin, against the just God who must bring justice, against the eternal God, meaning rebellion against him demands an eternal punishment and we can't wipe away our rebellion. Our world thinks this rebellion is like writing on a whiteboard with whiteboard markers, all so easy to wipe away but they don't realise they've written with permanent markers and no amount of wiping will work. There's so much more we could say about our sin. Jesus says we're slaves to sin. Paul says we're dead in our sin. But right now, 
as we share this message with our loved ones, the key elements to understand is that we're all sinners, and the rot goes so deep there's nothing we can do. Like Paul says, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. We can't save ourselves. On our own, we're hopeless. We're not strong enough, good enough, clever enough to save ourselves. We need a saviour. A saviour who can wash us clean, who can remove every scrap of poison, who can transform us. And that's what we've received in Jesus. Romans 3.26, he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. By Jesus' death, all who believe in him are washed clean. But to understand how that's possible and why it's necessary, there's one more element of our message we need to understand, which we'll discuss next week. We have a message to share. God is the loving maker and ruler of the world. God made humanity in his image. We've all rebelled against God's loving rule. We've experienced whiplash from last week. And next week it'll get worse. But the cure is coming. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you that you love us so much that you would give us the bad news. You would show us who we really are. And we thank you that in Jesus, you have provided the remedy. You have provided the cure. And we pray that as we trust in him, you would forgive us for our sin. May we be clear as we share this message, clear on the problem of sin and our need for Jesus. And we ask that your spirit would open hearts, that they would believe. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm Jesse Walls from Eaglehawk Presbyterian Church, and I pray you've been blessed as you've spent this time in God's Word. Next week, we'd love to have you join us in person for our service at 10am. I hope to see you there. And as always, if you'd like to make a comment on what you've heard today, you have a question, or you're looking for a church, then please get in contact with us. Our website is eaglehawkpc.org.au. You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram. God bless you.